Well, hi there, Melissa. Hello, Kurt. Happy Sunday. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Happy St. Patrick's Day. This is a holiday that I have to share with you. Means absolutely nothing to me. It meant a lot to me growing up. I had a grandmother who was like my favorite person in the world who was very into St. Patrick's Day. She was very Irish. So I have a lot of very fond memories of going to her house and eating corned beef and cabbage that she would like make herself from scratch. And so every year on St. Patrick's Day, I just crave my grandma's boiled cabbage with butter, salt, and extra black pepper. I could Is not that what eat you're it making now. for dinner? No, because I would never mm. boil cabbage in my house because that would make my entire house smell like farts. <laughs> and I can't do that because we don't have an actual exhaust. If I had an actual exhaust over our stove, then I would 100% make it. But our, our kitchen doesn't have a working exhaust. So okay. I cannot make that. But and, it's okay. And you can't, you can't open a window quite yet. No. I mean, we actually, we, we did have the windows open for about an hour today. Just what, at uh-huh. this like peak of warmth just to continue. I just like to breathe. I just like to air out a house, man. Even though I I'm, do I, I'm, I'm blanketed it up right now as the house warms back up. I just needed, we just needed some airflow. I did. Did I send you that in the chat? I think I sent you something about like just craving spring, but like that was one of the things that I'm like, I cannot wait until we can open the windows and get some fresh air in this house. Yeah. But it's, it's still too chilly, but maybe That's by the fun. end of this week. Oh yeah. It's supposed like, to get real nice this week. Yeah. Like everybody loves weather talk on a podcast. Um, hey. So let's dive deep into it now, but yeah, it's supposed <laughs> to warm up nicely. So please let that be the case and melt some more of the snow slowly so that it doesn't look so gross outside and then let there be enough warmth that I can open a window. Yeah. And then I'll be, well, I'm not going to pretend that I'll be satisfied then because you could have something something else will get in my way, but (laughs) at least that will be checked off the list. Mm. And it said, I don't know, there's something about this time of year just because it's right when the weather starts to turn for me, my brain also like clicks into it being like qualifier time and gearing up for state time. And like, it starts like you can start to feel the season sort of like winding down winding and down. like, and I also love winter. So like other people are like so stoked on it being spring, but I just get a little sad. <laughs> yeah, I hear that. And I, I do appreciate the changing of the seasons. Yeah. But this one, this one in particular, I'm, oh, everyone is I'm so, so ready. over it. I just <laughs> did not enjoy this winter that was just cold and bleak. Until it was just a a giant pile of snow. Yeah. For like, it was cold and gray and boring and then a downpour for like two months. And now. That sounds like you describing an <sighs> episode of mine. It, yeah, it could be. <laughs> cold and gray and bleary and then just yeah. a downpour and, for two months. Yes. Like winter is a great metaphor for depression. It is. Unless you're me and you love winter. But this week, other than it being St. Patrick's Day, this week had one of, if not my favorite holiday of the year. It's certainly more important and historical and necessary than like it more than my actual birthday ladies and gentlemen thursday was pi day march 14th the first three digits of pi and okay i've talked on this podcast plenty and to people in my real life about how your girl don't math i don't i do not appreciate anything about the actual mathematical aspect of it being pi the actual food pie is my favorite genre of food basically Mm -hmm. So I just spent Thursday living my best life. I wore my pie printed dress. I picked up a vegan gluten-free pie from the local coffee shop that I love, Paradigm Coffee House. I made a vegan chocolate peanut butter pudding pie for myself. It was great. That sounds great. Just all the pie. Amazing. Um, as I have already shared with you, but I will share with the rest of our listening audience, I did not have a pie per se, but I had made a cheesecake earlier in the week. And so I did have a piece of cheesecake on pie day, which was important and also the correct shape. Yes. So it'll count. It'll count. Well, let me I talk mean, to really, the judges. It's, we'll take it. 
Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> this may just be my Wisconsin heritage talking, but I do feel like cheesecake is somewhat of a misnomer, considering like we make so many pies that have like a cream cheese base or the- vegan cream cheese base in the case of your peanut butter pie. Like, that texture to me is so much more associated with pies and torts than it is with cake. It's always so strange to call it a cheese cake. And also it's a circle, like a, uh, like, and not a stacked circle. So to me, it's just like, it's a cream cheese pie. Yeah. I think the only thing that keeps it from being an actual like pie is the crust on majority of like a true cheesecake is only on the bottom. Mm-hmm. But I have had like various flavors of cheesecake with not graham cracker crust and instead like a classic pie crust. So, well, but like, I like a lemon meringue pie is still a pie. Yeah. And it's just topped with meringue. Yeah. There's no crust on top. No, I mean, and there are plenty, but it's just, it's that like, like so. the, that like flaky crust that people think about. Because there are some people who will tell you that a graham cracker crusted oh, pie. Ladies and gentlemen, the finger is out. She's pointing her finger at me. There are people who believe that a pie is only a pie if it is like at least one way wrapped in a flaky crust. And if it's on a graham cracker crust, then it is, as you mentioned, a tort. Okay. Well, I think those people are wrong. Pie is pie and I want all of it in my face. I will try most any flavor of pie. If we, when we go sure. to nationals, if there's a pie shop that shows up in the desserts, we go and get pie. I love it. I'll order it on in most any restaurant if it's the dessert option. It's one of the things that I'll eat not vegan and take a lactate for. Also, I took my very last lactate that you gave me from New York yesterday. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Finally made it through the whole stash. Aw. Yep. Happy memories. Happy memories. Happy if we can't memories. be together for a tournament Saturday. I can at least remember you fondly through the lactate wrapped in the coffee filter I stole from our Airbnb that has lived in my purse for four months. (sighs) What a cliche. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so we have a lot to get through. Yeah, so so Thursday I was sitting around eating pie and also having my friends over for dinner. On Thursday you were being cooler than me i went to my very first whsfa tournament as a judge and the only reason i can't say it was my first tournament period is because we helped antonio at his tournament one year at saint lawrence seminary so i have physically been present at one before but this is the first one in which i was like actively participating i was a judge i saw kids competing It was very exciting because I'd never done it before, but I'd gotten trained all the way back at the beginning of the year. And so I was stoked to finally get to put that uh, that certification to work. Uh, And so thank you to App West for asking me to judge. Um, Mm -hmm. And like. What like how like should I just go through it like. As part of the day, like yeah, I feel like Jane, Jane Goodall, like I was like just among like these strange creatures trying to figure out like how things happen because I didn't know. And I, like, <laughs> I have no concept for it. I was I was asking what was probably very stupid questions of you in our group chat. And then Antonio was like translating between the two mm-hmm. of us being like, oh, no, that's normal. That's what happens. And I was like, literally no idea. Yeah, it was it was weird. Like, it's been a long time since I've been in a forensics environment where I felt so uh, out of place, not out of place, not like not an expert. That sounds vain. But like, you know, like I I feel very comfortable at WFC tournaments because I've been going to them since I'm 13 years old. And like, I know how they work and I'm very at ease. And I thought, well, this isn't that different. And it's really not in so many ways. But I was there and it was suddenly like, oh, do I know enough? Things like I can't assume that this thing is correct because what if I'm wrong? And so first first lesson for anybody who's never been to one is show up hungry. Lesson number one. Um, I, you know, it's 3.30 in the afternoon. I had eaten lunch, but, you know, an hour, hour and a half before. 
And um, I wasn't hungry when I showed up. And that's when the spread was put out. And by the time I was done judging several hours later, the spread was pretty well picked over. <laughs> so one of the perks of judging for forensics is that you get a meal, sometimes two. And so I learned my lesson. Every, and everybody else knew. Everybody else showed up hungry and they got their meal. But I was like, oh, I'm not hungry yet. I'll just eat later. Um, lesson number two, they only ran 60 minute rounds. So my notion that I was going to like bounce back to the judges lounge in between because I had some short rounds. Oh, no, ma'am, because they were only 60 minute sections so that uh, I had to basically go from one thing to the next. Um, other than that, it really wasn't that different. Uh, I would say the biggest struggle for me was. I am not used to their critique sheet. And for every category, they have five areas of evaluation. Mm -hmm. And then you give them a, a score out of five for each of those areas of evaluation. And then you end up with a score out of 25. And I'm fine with the, the scoring portion of that. But I would think of a comment I wanted to make on the speech. And then I would have to be like, well, now what section does that comment go under? And so I know that as my first time out, some of those kids did not get as many comments as I would have liked to have written. They didn't get as much feedback as I would have liked to have given because I was spending time trying to think like, okay, does this go under vocal delivery or content or topic? And then I'd have to like figure it out and then write the comment where I thought it was best suited. So I think that's something that the more I do it, the more I will get used to that. Mm -hmm. But it was definitely like a challenge. And, um, I'm so grateful to Dave Winkler from Wrightstown, who took the time to actually follow up with me about one of his students' critiques, and he made me feel so much better about it because I thought I was just like not giving very much feedback at all. And he said that I, I had given really nice feedback to one of his kids and, and to his, his students that he had seen. So I was grateful for that. Um, and so I'm, I will get better with, at that over time. And, and, it's not a bad thing. And in many ways, I like, especially for new judges, I like that that's there on a critique sheet, that it shows very explicitly, like, here are the areas that you can critique and that you should be thinking about. Um, and if you don't write something in each of these five areas, look how blank it looks, you know? So I, I hope that that means I wasn't inspecting anybody else's critique sheets and I don't know what's normal. I yeah. certainly made sure to write one or two comments under every header for each section. So um, I think that's good because I do think it encourages uh, judges of, of any experience to write more. Um, unlike the WFCA half sheets, which I continue to despise. I, I will crusade against them for all time. Useful sheets of paper, people. Um, so yeah, that was that was my evening, and and then like three hours later, it's done. Yeah, it was so fast. It was so fast. In fact, I found myself like lingering at the end of the night, just talking to people because I was like, this experience was so quick, and I didn't, and <laughs> I didn't get, yet. and I didn't get my time to like sit and chat with people, which is part of the forensics experience that I enjoy. Yeah. So I just hung out afterwards, and I talked to Dave for a little bit, and I talked to Becky and Dana from Appleton West. And I met Dana's lovely mother, um, who then also judged for them at Wapaka on Saturday. So I got to see, uh, I believe Anna is her name, Lobermeyer, uh, Dana's mom. I got to see her twice in one week and talk to her about judging. Um, and I got to tease her a little bit because she thought she even gave out lower scores than I did. And I was like, ooh, good. Then I won't be the Appleton West judge that people complain about. Because hey. <laughs> I was worried. Mm. <laughs> like, um, but it, uh, it was a really neat experience and I'm glad that I went and did it. And it was super nice to be like 15 minutes from my house. Yeah. Cause it was at Bayport high school, which is like right up the road, not metaphorically, like literally it's just up for, uh, 41. So it was, it was a cool experience. Um, if there are judges in the WFCA who want to make a little more money on the side, consider getting 
uh, WHSFA certified. It It is not free. You do have to pay to do the online training and then to go to an in-person training. And there is the possibility that you will not be certified. Like it's not like an automatic thing. You have to be uh, critiqued. Like your critiques are critiqued and evaluated. And if the powers that be determine that your critique was not of value, then you have to do it again. So it's, it's not an automatic thing, but I would say most people who have experience judging in the WFCA would be able to pretty easily translate that experience over to the WHSFA. And, um, if you didn't pass the WHSFA training, you might not be a great WFCA judge either. And it might be time to evaluate. (laughs) Evaluate (laughs) more than just your critiques, but like your choices. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so that was my experience at Bayport for the WHSFA district tournament from, I don't know, this neck of the woods. Is it like the Fox River Valley? I don't know how Um, they do things. I believe you were at district six. Sure. Okay. Their numbers. Good. I didn't even know that. Their numbers. It's Great. like the Hunger Games. Cool. Thank y'all. Thank y'all. So you're welcome. So yeah, it was. Um. Oh, another thing. They don't. So you can't double enter at these tournaments, yeah. which I was like, I thought that that was the case, but then I'm sitting in the room and I'm like waiting for a kid to show up, and I'm like, well, could they be double entered? I never thought to ask again. I just assumed that I knew stuff. And then like, once I found myself in the moment, it was like, well, wait a second. Should I have asked about this beforehand? So mm-hmm. I learned a lot and, uh, and uh, I had fun and I love, and I love seeing forensics. Yeah. So it was, it was nice and it was good to be able to see some kids and to offer some critiques and I hope they were helpful and I hope that no one hates me. Yay. Yay. Uh, do you want to talk about your time then on Saturday at Arrowhead? Sure. Uh, so it was a it was a weird weekend of competition for us because this weekend it was our Solon Ensemble yesterday, as well as the weekend of our spring play. So my team of normally approximately twenty or so kids, uh, most of them double and triple entering, was instead four young children. Uh, with their double entries. Uh, so we actually drove a van, a school van, uh, and Dan and his student Brandon from Etude also rode with me. Uh, and then Ben drove separately. And that was just a very odd experience to like be driving myself. I've never, I've driven to Congress plenty, but I've never driven to the tournament. So mm-hmm. it was just, it was just a, it, like, it was, I felt like I was in a different mindset, but Dan and I had a lot of really great conversations because he, as we've talked about before, is just an amazing conversationalist and is just full of stories. Uh, so many stories that you do so not many. see coming. No, he is full of surprises. Uh, but I love going to Arrowhead because I love Stephen Rain very much. And I have, we have not been down South in quite a while. So getting to see all of my lovely Southern friends, uh, Amy Geiser from Marquette, uh, Carrie Baker Jackson from Reagan, John Balseric from Amatosa East. It just filled my heart to be around all of them. Uh, and I also got to work the intake table for Steve. And I got to hang out with Susan from Slinger and Doris Sexton from West Bend and just talk about our cats a lot. <laughs> which made my heart so warm just to like be sitting between rounds and talking about our cats and like looking at pictures of each other's cats. And I just really liked it. Kurt is so ashamed of me right now. No, it's not ashamed. I'm shaking my (laughs) head because you started giggling about it before you even finished the sentence because you knew what button you were pushing in my psyche when you're like we sat around and talked about our cats (laughs) it was so nice i love talking about cats i'm not sad i missed the cat conversation i'm not why but i am sad not to have seen all of those wonderful people yes and steven rain run a great tournament they gave me a great suggestion that i'm going to do at my tournament next year so one thing is that the two of them have an amazing judges lounge they have all of these parents who donate different crock pots of soups and they are they had paleo like a paleo soup option um as well as multiple vegan options uh like it was great as well as sub sandwiches and like tons of beautiful desserts i sent uh, you a picture of an adorable little cupcake that had four and mm-hmm. six piped on it. Um, 
But all of that goes successfully because one of their parents is labeled as hospitality coordinator. Mm -hmm. So their job is not like just a judge's lounge, but also like all of the student stuff that's happening and like bus driver, like, like interacting and stuff like they do all of anything that could be labeled under hospitality. And I can't imagine what a delightful weight that takes off of their shoulders just to have that person and, and be like, mm-hmm. go ask the hospitality coordinator. They'll know. They'll know. And it just, it was perfection. It was great. Good. Um, yeah. And I just, I just loved getting to be wildly inappropriate. Um, uh, Michelli Utecki. I think that's how uh, you pronounce oh. it. Um, Why is this getting even more crazy? Because we were trying to think of ways for Steve to butcher her name even further this year. <laughs> and I decided on Michelli being the funniest pronunciation of Michelle for me. Michelli. Um, Michelli Utecki. <laughs> Why we both do friggin' chef's kiss hands. Mwah, Michelli. <laughs> I am bad at accents. Uh, I love a good yeah. Michelli with the red sauce. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh oh she's broken it's gonna take her <laughs> she'll come back. anyway we're good um uh it was just fun to get to uh just be wildly inappropriate with them and just sort of get out some of the like there's just a lot of tension um in this period of time in the forensic season and uh like all the preparations for state and stuff so it was just nice to sort of let the hair down and just enjoy each other as our time feels like it's beginning to run out already. As I said before, this time feels like the forensic season just is winding down. So I just loved getting to hang out with them and Mm -hmm. it just made my heart warm. And I just like that tournament. It's nice. It's a, it's not too far away for us. It's a bunch of competition. My kids don't really see, and it's always a tiny tournament for us because of solo and ensemble, but that can be really nice. Uh, And I, so I told them oh, that if okay. we won a team trophy in small teams, that we could do something silly. So to go, am accept, I going to hate this? <laughs> to go accept our um, second place small teams trophy, I piggybacked my student Camilla across the gym to go receive our trophy and our uh, victory bagels, within which the six pack of bagels was missing a bagel. So it was exactly five bagels. So there is a video of me um, with my student Camilla hoofed on my back, like basically teetering through the Arrowhead gym to go accept our team trophy. And I was at Wapaka. Nothing. Nope. I'm just going to move on. I will not give you the reaction you want. Too late. You already did. How mm. was Wapaka? How was Mr. Mr. Adi's tournament? Oh, I had such a good time at Wapaka. I don't know if it was just because it was like, oh, <laughs> hello. <laughs> um, I don't. I don't know if it was just because it was my second tournament of the week or what, but like. I just had a blast um, and I, I was in the tab room, which I wasn't expecting, uh, but I was, first of all, had the best greeting of my entire life from Mariah Irvin. I walked in the door and like I got my judges information from Ron and then I'm walking towards the judges lounge and I just hear a delightful shout and I see Mariah bounding towards me. It is the correct verb to say bounding because like her feet left the floor as she jumped into my arms and gave me the biggest hug. And I'm just like, I don't know that anybody's ever been so happy to see me. And I'm a married man. So that means there should be a higher level that I'm expecting. (laughs) But it was so... Nice. And maybe that's why I had such a great day. Cause like, how could it be bad after I started it off yeah. that way? With like a big old hug from, from ladies and gentlemen, Mariah Irvin. So, so that was great. So thank you, Mariah. Cause I, I can't express how much fun that was. Um, 
And then I like just walking into the judges lounge and seeing Deb and seeing uh, Becky and Dana again from App West and seeing Keith from Kakana and just seeing all the people, all the all the northern people and just getting to kind of like walk around and say hello and feel very like, oh, I'm in my element again. Yeah. Um, after Thursday night where, again, I wasn't having a bad experience i just wasn't in my element and yeah it was like, but it was oh, all of a sudden like oh it's my people um yes yes it's like okay i see these i know i know everybody here i know the the drill and everything is going to be going to be normal it's going to be what i'm used to it's like a comforting blanket and i was good um and then like it was a pretty small tab staff throughout the day, but I mean, I got to spend my whole day with with Mark Adi and Ron Steinhorst and Dana Kraus and uh, Mariah and uh, Jared from Amherst came and joined us after the first uh, round and just had a blast, like uh, had great conversations with everybody, um, some of which were really subst- substantive. Um, and. One thing in particular that I talked to a few people about, and I was really encouraged by the response, is, you know, we were talking about some of the stuff we've talked about on the podcast the last few weeks, just like Mm -hmm. categories that we don't think are fulfilling the value that they could. And like, we don't necessarily want to get rid of them, but we need to do something so that the categories are worthwhile for the students who are doing them. And I just kind of throw it there. I was like, well, what if we did like a conference or like a one day or two day conference and like just went through like how to coach different categories thinking maybe they'll be like lukewarm about the idea. I was really surprised that like everybody in the room was like, that would be great. I would love that. I would show up for that because like I want to learn how to better coach acting because I'm not an actor or I would love to coach better how to write a speech because I'm an actor and not a speech person. And so um, I was like, maybe this idea has some legs behind it. So I'm going to keep thinking about that and how that could be evolved and how that could practically be done uh, in a way that doesn't cost the organization a ton of money because we don't have the Bradley grant anymore. And so we need to figure out ways to do things um, efficiently and differently. So I'm just going to keep keep thinking about it. And I'm putting those vibes out into the world. And we'll see. Was Jared uh, we'll Schrader in the room when you were talking about this? Yes, he was. Because when he and I did our coaching clinic with Anne at Appleton East, the three of us were brainstorming exactly such an event and what it would look like for the WCA to do it. And I also have been trying to figure out how I would host an event like that on the campus of my work because I host things like that Mm. regularly and what that would look like. So maybe we should put our heads together. Okay. And we can brand it. No, not literally. Don't take your head away from the phone. All I see is okay. a pink blur. That's my big old, that's my five head. It just looked like a butt. Because <laughs> all, all skin up close looks the same. <laughs> all skin looked like a butt. <laughs> yeah. And um, now I'm just thinking about Evie Oddly again. Right. Mm, 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 mm. So, so that was a lot of fun. Um, I also, I finally got to meet Emily Cash. Oh. Who has already gotten shouted on the podcast before, but I'll shout her out again because she walked up. She's like, you said on the podcast you wanted me to say hello to you. So I'm coming to say hello to you. And I was like, so efficient. OK, great. <laughs> <laughs> and then later I I snagged her to take a picture because I was like, let's yeah. do this properly. Yeah. And then like, you sent it to me and I was very jealous. You were like, taking all the adorable pictures yesterday. We were, well, you know, that's a Mariah thing. She likes yep. to take some cute she pictures. She likes to take some photos. I, I like that. Um, I also have to shout out Akshay from Beaver Dam, who came up to me um, and did exactly the same thing, which was like, you said we should introduce ourselves if we see you. And I was like, yes. And I'm so glad you did. So that That's was super, so super wonderful. So shout out to Akshay. It was lovely meeting you. And um, and finally, I told her I was going to do this, but I'm going to give a shout out to Jenny Harper. So those of you who don't know Jenny Harper, she is the wife of Dave Harper, who has been, you know, a part of the WFCA executive committee in the past. And he hosts the Denmark tournament 
So some of you may know Dave, but you might not know Jenny, who is his wife and partner in life and coaching. And they are like a dynamic duo. And Jenny is ever present. She's always there to support the kids from Denmark, as well as often her own children Mm -hmm. uh, who are powerhouses in the activity. But uh, what I was when I was sorting ballots, one thing I noticed is that on every single ballot that she wrote out, she wrote an encouraging comment on the very, very top. So it's the first thing a kid sees. And I was like, and it wasn't BS comments either. It wasn't like, thanks so much or and not that that's BS. Like, it's good to do yeah. it. But it wasn't just a generic like, thank you for performing. Like she said something really kind to each of these these kids right at the top encouraging them to stick with the activity and and propelling them forward, even if they were disappointed in their score. And I just thought that was so cool. And so I was like, I'm going to shout you out on the podcast. And so here I am saying, Jenny Harper, I like your critique sheets. I like that you give those kids some motivation in addition to what I'm sure are great critiques, but I didn't actually read the comments. I just saw the ones on the top that I really liked. So more Jenny Harper's in the world. Please. Yes. And I think that that's a great practice and one that I hope to to emulate. I do often try like somewhere on the ballot to write a, a like thanks for performing or like thanks for sharing or something like that. But sometimes it's you don't have the time and you're you're feeling stressed and you want to get your ballots in. And, and I will forget to do that. And so it was just a nice reminder mm-hmm. that it takes almost nothing. It costs you nothing and it takes almost yep. no time to just say something specifically encouraging that is not neither a critique nor a compliment on the performance but is more just about saying to the kid like keep going with this you're in the right place that is nice so that's making me a little emotional oh so those those are all my charlotte's i mean um do you have a best thing you saw this week the best thing that i saw this week was Steve Schmid's adorable daughters coming to visit him as they do every year during his tournament. And uh, Steve having uh, one of his daughters, I believe it was Nora, sit at the intake table with him. And she was helping out with crossing out all of the stuff. And uh, she turned to Steve and was like, these are an awful lot of numbers. And I was <laughs> like, yeah, we they're just so, do you see them? There's so many numbers and letters. And she's like, you have to be really smart to do this. And I was like, you do yeah. really do. And it made me feel very good. And they're just, they're just adorable and they just dote on him. And it's just, I just like when people include their kids from a very young age in the forensics world. And also as someone who is not married and not with children, it's always nice for me to see forensic spouses and families and people who are making what is a very difficult activity and very time consuming still work for their regular normal people lives yeah so it was great also we talked about their chickens a lot because steve's family has has chickens so and i just i like talking to steve about them and it was even more fun talking to his daughters about them so the best thing i saw this week were steve schmidt's daughters excellent Um, my best thing i saw this week is also daddy vibes it was that i got to meet mark Adi's wife Carrie was there at the tournament and she was judging and I looked at her last name and I literally said, wait, are you the wife? And she said, I am. And I said, is he as amazing at home as he is here? I was like, is he just like so nice? And she's like, he's always nice. And I was like, how dare I was like, how do you do it? And she's like, I'm very lucky, but sometimes I do wish he would fight me. And I was like, He's yeah. the best. And we, so we basically talked, we gushed about her husband together. Um, and I I thoroughly enjoyed probably making her uncomfortable. <laughs> but what do I care? <laughs> like, I don't. I enjoyed myself. Um, <laughs> so it was it was so much fun to just be like, Adi, are you the wife? <laughs> it's probably really creepy. So sorry, Carrie, if I freaked you out. But I <laughs> I was just really I'm sure excited that, I'm sure to get some like another opportunity to talk about how great her husband is because people don't get to do that enough. Right. Got to appreciate them when they can. And Mark is truly like well, both of most of our tournaments that we were at are like two of the greatest people in our association. And both, I believe, are underappreciated by some people for just how 
much they advocate and care about their teams and the mm-hmm. activity overall. So y'all stop sleeping on Steve and Mark. They're great. Let's be honest. Everybody in the organization is a little bit underappreciated for the work that they do. I mean, that too. That too. Yeah. That's too real. Too real. So, all right, let's move on to our categorious topic of the week. Ladies and gentlemen, it is drum roll, please. Storytelling. Storytelling. Let's tell a story. We just told so many stories. I know. We just told like a half hour of stories. It's what we do every week on the podcast. (laughs) It is. But the type of storytelling we're talking about is a little bit different from what uh, we do when we tell these off the cuff stories. Um, I will. I'll now uh, defer to Melissa. For the WFCA definition of storytelling. The WFCA defines storytelling as such. To tell a story is to chronicle events. The burden of the storyteller is to chronicle those events in a coherent, unified, clear, and interesting manner. The storyteller may use vocal variation and physical movement from a seated position to suggest different characters and character relationships in order to make the story clearer and more interesting. It should be remembered throughout that the emphasis of the storyteller's art is on the teller as intermediary or narrator. The student is expected to demonstrate a sense of audience. That is, tell the the chosen story in such a manner that would be suitable for the intended audience, be it young children, teenagers, adults, or chronologically advanced. Y'all, this is the longest definition on the entire website page that we reference for this part of it. It is so long. The chronologically advanced... (laughs) <laughs> y'all who wrote that i someone needs to tell me who wrote this page on the website because the phrase chronologically advanced is buck wild also it's the only category where we refer to this what the students are doing as art which i think is interesting mm-hmm. also that it just defines what stories are <laughs> like chronicling events but like you know that that definition has probably been added onto and added onto and added onto over time as as we are wont to do when we feel like something isn't being done correctly we just add on to the rules and or definition and i'm wondering about that one has gone through some lengthy edits as time has gone on to try to convey what it is that storytelling is supposed to do yeah, this definition is five lines long on the WFCA page we reference, whereas something like poetry is a single line. Interpretation of poetry. Read poetry. <laughs> it's literally the student should select a poem or group of poems centering on a theme or emotion. What is this? Um, we need to work on this. This, if anything, if kind of glorious has taught me anything, it's that I need to continue using my position of power in the WFCA to make more changes to the website and this page. But storytelling, chronicling of events. Yeah, Kurt, were you a storyteller in high school? No, I would never have put in the amount of work it takes to be in storytelling, especially because back in the day, it was. Five stories, not four, but five, which means every single week of normal competition until you got to state, you weren't even telling one of your five stories. One fifth of your repertoire went unperformed every week and the other four, you only get to do it one time. That's nuts to me. I still. Yeah still have so much respect and admiration for anybody who decides they want to be a storyteller because I just cannot fathom the amount of work and time and energy it takes to do it. Yeah, nope. I didn't do it either in high school. It seemed too hard. Also, it wasn't really like that popular of a thing to do on my team. I remember one girl, uh, her name was Gina and she did storytelling, but it was like a secondary category for her it was not her main thing so you know the impression i had of storytelling when i was in high school was that it was basically like mini solo hum yeah it was like the the breeding no not 
not the breeding grounds. That's the wrong, that's the wrong simile. Uh, it was the training grounds for future solo humorous actors. And because I never had any ambitions to be a solo humorous actor, I never, never even considered doing storytelling. Yeah, I just didn't want to memorize five stories. No. Like, I consider myself to be a pretty good storyteller, like, in person. Uh, And so it was a suggested category for me by my coach uh, my junior year. And I just laughed in her face and was like, no, I'm going to write another public address. Bye. (laughs) Yeah. So it is. It's tough. Um, Yeah. The the thing about coaching storytelling, too, is I feel like, and this is why my impression of it has not changed, is even coaching, it takes so much time. So like much. You, you can't sit down in one coaching session and work on all of the, the kids' repertoire because it would take a full day. Like you have to focus on one story at a time. And oftentimes when I'm working with a kid in like a half an hour section of time and you're working on an eight minute piece, you only get through two minutes. So imagine how much time it takes to like see and perfect and work on four pieces. It's nuts. Like you guys doing storytelling are superheroes to me. You are forensics superheroes. I cannot believe that you do this and that so many of you do it so well. Amazeballs. It's it's crazy. And to think of how many students are in storytelling who do it as part of a multiple category repertoire, like y'all. How? Yeah. Yeah. I can't. I know. Um, like you see the little double enter on the 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 sheet next to their name, and it's like double enter. You're already quadruple entered. Yeah. Or like when they're like, Yeah, I do this and I'm also doing an oil piece and I'm in a duo and you're like girl is you okay Mm -hmm. this is too much and yet here I am as someone with a who coaches uh, students who are in storytelling as one of many categories that that they do but I I do love coaching storytelling I love figuring out the right stories once we decide on the topics Uh, this year they're British Isles a fish out Plagues, of water. Fish out of water and like gardening and agriculture or something. That sounds right. Yeah. I don't I don't pay a huge amount of attention to the category of storytelling now that I'm not coaching. That's fair. <laughs> I That's did fair. I did not need to know them this year. I had to look them up when running the North Tournament to be able to say yeah. what they were going to be and when. Because I was like, oh wait, what are the storytelling stories this year? Yeah. But I feel like storytelling is a category that has evolved a ton in the last few years that we've tried as we've tried to figure out ways for it to be less of a daunting category to join. Because when we both began coaching, you had five stories you were memorizing. You carried around a storytelling card with the titles of those stories. Uh, The judges got to pick which stories they wanted you to tell in the round. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then you would have entire stories you weren't telling. And now we only have four stories. Tournament hosts predetermined which story everyone in the round is telling mm-hmm. uh and i think it leads to different challenges now then because you have some students who are telling the same stories as each other which was easier to avoid previously yeah but so, i st- i do still think we d- we did a real kindness to our young people by telling them in advance like first round will be this story second round will be this because it, it, it at least allows them like 10 minutes in between rounds to yeah, to prep to and to think of like the the details of the next story versus the old model where you just handed your sheet to the judge and then they circled something and you had to be ready. So I'm I'm glad we've simplified it to a degree. I still think it's insanely hard and like good for those kids, yeah. but I am glad we've simplified it to a degree to hopefully make it more accessible to some. Mm-hmm. And I also think that storytelling is the category in forensics that has the most variety of definitions of what the category is nationally. So like you can go to some places where storytelling is just kids telling one story throughout an entire tournament. They're doing it standing. It is sort of like hum, prose, like all those different sort of categories, but without a binder in some places 
They're choosing a story like from a binder walking into a round and they have prep times mm-hmm. and things. Uh, and so if you're from one of one of those places where our kind of storytelling sounds crazy to you, please let us know because I'm very, very interested in all the different kinds of storytelling because the definition of it is so broad. Uh, and I think that's one of the things that lends itself to being really fun to judge. Because you can have people who go in and tell more of what we would label potentially as the typical storytelling where it is sort of a children's story. Mm-hmm. But then you have people who are coming in who are telling sort of like urban myths and they're sort of like creepy and crawly and make you a little uncomfortable. Some people are telling nonfiction stories and giving sort of biographical presentations of sorts. Mm-hmm. And so I just think, I think storytelling is super interesting. I never get to judge it because I almost always have students in it. Yeah. But when I do get to judge it, it makes me so happy. I love it. I judged it very early in the year this year. So I would not want to say that, you know, those kids at like that first, very first tournament were like the pinnacle of what they were going to become. I'm sure a lot of them mm-hmm. were still, still learning their stories. Um, and you could, you could sense that, that there were moments where they were stretching for what the next thing was going to be. But that is one way that I do appreciate storytelling in that, you know, yes, they have to know four stories, but they don't have to memorize the dialogue or the narration. Yeah. You know, they can in the moment, as we all do when we tell stories, uh, decide to emphasize something differently or to use a different descriptor uh, or, you know, to to maybe switch, you know, the events of the story around if they want to. They get to take liberties as a storyteller because we don't hold them to, you know, a script in the same way that we do in solo acting or in prose and poetry where you need to stick to the author's intent and, and tell the story as the author intended it for storytelling. Feel, I think you can just be as creative as you need to be. Um, and if that creativity is born of forgetting something important and having to go back and say it later, okay, who cares? You know, like it's, it's, it's what would happen if you were just sitting down and telling a story yeah. as the best storytellers do. I, I actually, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Can you name like a professional storyteller? Like that you've seen, like what, what is the real world version of this category? Um, I think that a lot of really great podcasts are sort of like this more modern form of storytelling. Something like uh, especially the first season of Serial, the podcast, I think is an amazing demonstration of an, like a nonfiction story that they're telling. Um, Can I push but, back on that, though? Yeah. But that was that was scripted. OK. You know, like the the moments when like the host of that show is talking to us, like directly like those moments are scripted and then it's a lot of like interview snippets that are like then used in place okay well then um the moth which is Ah, yes the moth is exactly this yeah is people getting up in front of a group and telling a story of theirs without the Um, use of notes yeah they're just up there telling the story uh so there are a lot of podcasts that are like that uh so i think that they're different yeah groups of i think podcasting is the closest that we have to like modern storytelling in the sort of way that we talk about stories spreading and how a majority of people are taking in what we would label as storytelling Mm -hmm. do you have a different example the one that comes to mind is i mean i grew up catholic so it would be a priest but any minister who, you know, weekly, daily gets up in front of a group of people and conveys a story that they know well and then tries to tie it to what's happening in the real world. Often those stories then have a moral that they're trying to impart. Um, so I, I, to me, like any, any person who works in, in ministry has to be able to do this well has to be able to tell a story. Yeah. And oftentimes I know the ones I grew up with, like they'll use a children's story to help emphasize the point from the, you know, the story in the Bible that they're trying to tell because it simplifies is, it and it makes it easier to understand. Is the church word for that parable? Yes. yes. 
sometimes uh, yes parables in the in the bible Okay. Yes. I don't, Kurt knows all of the things about church and I know literally nothing. So anytime that I have any connection to it, I just make Kurt validate me. Jesus often spoke in parables. So Jesus is one of the most well-known ministers from history. Often, And one of our well-known storytellers. Often used stories to be able to share uh, what he was talking yeah. about. You know, he wouldn't talk about, you know, God and people. He would talk, or the church and people. He would tell a story about like a mother and a daughter or a father and a son mm-hmm. or a husband and a wife. And then that was a metaphor for something else that he was trying to, to relate. And so, you know, if, this art form is so useful in communication, but it was just, it struck me that we don't talk about professional storytellers very yeah. much. People whose that, job it is yeah. to, to use storytelling to help convey some other meaning. Mm-hmm. I think that, Stand-up comedy can be somewhere where it's sort of like they've pre-written jokes and they sort of know the outline of where it's going to go, but there's that option to improv in there yes. uh, as and, and sort of change things up to um, match what's happening in their audience. If it's going really well and they can sort of ramp up to something or if they're bombing and they need to sort of turn the tables around. Uh, I think that's definitely, and maybe that's one of the reasons why a lot of people who are sort of naturally funny end up being storytellers because mm-hmm. they have that uh, like storytellers and forensics because they have that charisma level already sort of in them. So they're able to change things up as they are performing to match their audience and can make changes based off of the people who are going before them. Mm-hmm. Like, Oh, they're not getting that many laughs from that thing. I probably should try something else that I normally rely on. And storytelling gives you that option. Wouldn't storytelling in forensics be interesting if everyone's approach was you're a stand-up comedian telling the story of the beauty and the beast yeah you know that we want we want you to bring that much of yourself into the storytelling so it's not just about the content and the details and the chronological order of events that Mm -hmm. the story tells but we want you to bring enough of yourself in that it's also your commentary on those those tropes and those details that'd be interesting that's an interesting take on yeah. storytelling i've never thought of before that'd be but a, i think you're right that'd be a very fun way to coach it sure sure would yeah i love okay i'm really glad we had that aside because it it's making me think of, of storytelling in a, a way i never have before okay but let's talk about one of the really big aspects of storytelling that we haven't discussed yet and it's one of my favorite parts about storytelling the chair i think that one of the things that goes underutilized in storytelling is the fact that, yes, you have to sit on this chair, but that's the only thing that you technically have to do in it. Mm. They will tell you, and I've been in TPP conversations where people had to talk about this, all that they will tell you is that technically your butt has to remain in the chair, but your legs can go up. You can, if you can figure, you can move from side to side on the chair. I have seen students like basically put themselves into what is like a V shape and like spin around on that thing while still technically still being in that chair. I've seen kids spin upside down and like lay their heads back and like hook their, I've seen people do so many cool things, but it is not the norm in the category. Mm-hmm. Most people just sort of, sit on the edge of the chair and put their hands on their knees and then lean forward a lot. And that's it. And that makes me so sad because it's something that other people don't get to have. So be more playful with it. If the thing, some of the best decisions that I make as a coach, it doesn't matter the category is when a student suggests something that they think is stupid or silly or dumb. And I'm like, no, wait, actually, that's really cool. That's Mm -hmm. really interesting. That's really different. Let's try it. And storytelling is a place to do that. Let's do more fun stuff with this chair. Let it not be a burden for your performance, but something to help enhance it and make it more interesting. Yeah, I would say just having to stand there. I would say one of the the myths about storytelling is that sitting in a chair means you can only be expressive with the top half of your body. And that's not what that means. Like you still got legs. I mean, most people do. Not everybody does, but 
I don't I don't want to discriminate against our differently abled friends. Like not yep. it's not everybody has legs, but most people yep. do. You still got that part of your body and they can be used to express things in posture and how you move your feet. Feet can be great for sound effects, if nothing else. Yeah. I've also seen people use the chair for sound effects, like tapping on the chair and the noises are making on the chair, depending on what the chair is made mm-hmm. of. I've seen people like tapping against the legs of the chair for different sounds. And like one story where someone was talking about rain. And so they were making rain sounds like, like by reaching their hands underneath the chair and like tapping their fingernails against the plastic mm-hmm. of it. And it was so cool. And so I, it is, it is a great thing that you get to use the chair. So you should use it. And another thing that I think is a myth that we sort of already touched on is that all stories and storytelling have to be funny and for children. Mm. Not true. I have seen some really great, really creepy storytelling. And I think when like what is one of the most memorable performances for me and is still the only time that I have genuinely seen this piece done very well in forensics was a student was telling the story of the telltale heart Mm. in storytelling. And they were like knocking on the chair, like they had their legs spread and they were knocking on the chair between their legs for all of like the knocking sounds and stuff. Uh, And they, and it was just, it was just so creepy. And I felt really bad writing on their critique sheet. I was like, I am thoroughly creeped out right now in the most positive of ways. (laughs) Even though I was so familiar with that story, like the way that they were, the way they were playing with the volume of their voice and like the physicality of their body. And it was just one of those things where everyone in the room was leaning towards them. It doesn't have to be like this fun, silly thing every time, like take advantage of finding stories with more levels in them. Well, and that kind of circles us back to picking out the right stories. And I'll openly admit, this is not something that I have mastered. I usually Mm -hmm. let the kids find their own stories with their own interpretation of the theme because, well, one, it's hard enough to find a piece, one piece per kid. Then you have to find four per kid. Yeah. No, thank you. So so I, I am not an expert at this. Do you have any like sources or advice when working with your storytellers for where you guys find your stories? Local children's librarian. Go to your local, go to your local library, go to the children's section to the librarian whose specialty is there and tell them, okay, I am looking for stories in these four categories. Can you help me out? One, they're going to be excited that a teenager or an adult is up there. Two, they're going to have extensive knowledge of the collection. And three, they'll be able to tell you, yeah, this is a really cool story. Like this, it has this aspect to it and you can tell them, oh, I want somebody that doesn't rely too heavily on pictures Mm -hmm. so that you get to rely on the text more. And they're going to be the people because children's books are almost always a great length that you can perform them in six minutes or they're very easy to cut if they're not enough or if they're not quite six minutes, you in storytelling, you get to expound upon them as much as you want. But going to your local library, they're going to be able to find, you can tell them, I need a children's story from the British Isles or Ireland. And they're going to say, oh, okay, over in the international children's story section, over down in this corner, I've got four books about it. Mm-hmm. Here you go. And then just makes your whole world easier. And, you know, ain't nothing wrong with the library, y'all. Certainly it's my not. like number one go-to tip. It's, uh, sometimes students are looking themselves, but if they're particularly struggling with something... Just go to the library and talk to your children's librarian. And our librarian is at the point now where I think that she knows that, <laughs> like when it's forensic season, the kids are coming and they're just used to it and they know what we're looking for. So go That's to the awesome. library, y'all. That's an awesome tip. I like that. Um, how do you practice with your kids? Like I said, one of the challenges with this is that you almost never get enough time to work on each individual story. Yeah. For me, it's sometimes figuring out, like, just working on the voices. A lot of storytelling is making those choices where you're trying to figure out what vocally a kid is going to do. But, yeah, playing with all the things that they could potentially possibly do physically. Like, when, because was it last year, two years ago, where it was some, like, boating or, like, water, 
something with boats. My student Camilla and I spent a good 15 minutes one night trying to figure out if we could have her perform her piece um, with her turned sideways, making her body into a boat while telling it because the story was told from the perspective of a boat. Sure. So I I like to, in storytelling, try to break it down. But otherwise, it's a really great one to just have a kid just go up and do the whole piece and you just take notes while if you've got a lot of kids that are around and then they get more audience reaction. Because I think storytelling among all of them is one that having the audience there and reacting to them is really is really helpful. Mm. Do you just like tell them, like, give me your first two minutes, give me your last two minutes or I you've had some successful storytellers? Well, yes and no. I again, the storytellers that I know are all fiercely independent young people who say I am going to do a f- category that requires me to know four stories. And then I go, I will support you in your decision. But OK. Um, and. <laughs> And so I am one of those coaches, this is not going to surprise you, who intends to let a kid do their entire piece and I'm just going to take notes. But oftentimes I need to stop them after 45 seconds. That's and fair. I ha- like I just have to start fixing. And my approach with every student, but especially in storytelling, is to try to get the one story to where I want it to be. So that the kid learns the tools to be able to apply it to their other three stories. And so you get them to think, like you said, about voices, about physicality, how to use, how to think outside the box, how to use the chair. And then once they have those, those tools in their toolbox, I hope they're applying them to their, their other stories before I have a chance to see it. Same with when I'm blocking group and terp. It often takes a full half an hour to do the first minute. And then I yeah. would look at, you know, those group interp kids and be like, okay, so now you've learned what I do when I'm blocking group interp. It's very time intensive. It takes a lot of time and energy to get it right. You want to focus on being in the right place and having everybody match and, and thinking about how the text informs your movement and blah, 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 blah. blah. And then you send them, <laughs> or at least I would, I'd send them on their way to like, now you go do the next minute. And the next time we work together, I want to see what you came up with. And then you then then you're tweaking rather than coming up with it entirely. Yeah. And so storytelling is that's like a preview of our group interp discussion, by the way. Um, but like storytelling for me is very much that has been my strategy. Like, let's get one really solid, apply those same theories elsewhere. And then it's just a matter of like, well, I guess you got to sign up for four practice times in a week if you want me to see all four stories. Yeah. There's no, like, there's no other way to do it. So you better be pretty dedicated um, or, you know, spread them out. I'll see two stories this week, two stories next week. And it's just going to be uh, a constant process to make them all all better over time. Gosh, this category is so hard. Why do we get kids do this? Insanity insanity but i do appreciate it as we talk about this i just start to feel guilty that it, like that we expect this of kids Listen, it wasn't my idea it wasn't <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't come up with this category i was I, this isn't our i'm fault. a part of the voting body that took it from five to four so yes uh, i am i too. voted for that but yeah it's it's so much work and again these kids they're superheroes good on you storytellers good on you do you have any particular storytellers or story moments that really stick out to you as great? I really, truly don't. I don't judge it that often. Yeah, I, I never really get to judge it. If I judge it, it is almost always in a consolation round at nationals. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Those have got to be pretty good, though. Time I, well, but so it's but it's also very different. So it's different. very different. <laughs> Than what we do. The kids only have one story. Yeah. They're five minutes long and they're standing and they have to remain as standing. They don't get to move around at all. They mostly stand still in one place, yeah. but move around their arms a lot. So. But it's fun. I do like mm-hmm. it very much. I can tell you, like I could name, I won't, but I could name like the people who have been good at it for like the last five years because yeah. like it's 
often the same names being read on that stage week after week after week because um, the cream really rises to the top in that category. Because uh, I think once once you've once you've honed in what's good about storytelling and you know how to do it well, it's the same kids. You see them every week. And I think it's a category that kids go into thinking it's going to be easy and then not really understanding or appreciating how much work and effort has to go into it to be good. Like my storytellers um, who are successful are practicing so much. Yep. And they're putting in the time and they're putting in the effort and that is what's making them successful in the category. So it's crazy. It's it's nuts. But but again, so much admiration for those people who do it. Yeah. Mm. Um, but if you feel like we forgot to talk about something, let us know. We got this cool fancy portmanteau we came up with, Categorious, hashtag it, send us a message. Because I'm sure as people who are not nearly as successful it's not something that either of us have like are like known for with our programs right. like some schools are. So if we forgot something, let us know. Because or maybe we're interpreting it entirely wrong and you can set us yeah, straight. Yeah, maybe we're very wrong. <laughs> Who knows? So if you're a storytelling expert as a coach, get in touch. Maybe we can use you uh, at a conference to teach a storytelling uh, hey. workshop, uh, which I think a lot of people would benefit from and would enjoy seeing how to yeah. coach it well. Hundred yeah. percent. So, all right. Well, Do it. with that, we've been talking for over an hour. We should let people get back There's to so their much. lives. We had so many tournaments to recap. It's it true, was... but we'll be together next weekend, right? Will we? Yeah. For what? Yeah, Ashkash North slash hosted by Denmark. Oh no! Next week, I am out of state, <gasps> so I will not be at a forensics tournament, and we will have to discuss when we're recording the podcast because I don't know when we get back on Sunday. But that's not no. that's not fun on mic content for everybody else. <laughs> so we're just going to go back to enjoying our lovely Sundays. I hope wherever you are, that you are having a great, wonderful day, that you are doing things where you are soaking up this sunshine. Or maybe you are in your house in the dark watching the new season of Queer Eye. Whichever Whatever it may makes be. you happy for everybody. Live your best life, yeah, everyone. For everybody who's on spring break, enjoy it. Rest, relax. Treat yourself. Make sure that you go back uh, into the rest of the school year as refreshed and rejuvenated as you can. Yep, because we're we're getting into the the nitty gritty. A lot of schools are starting. Southern District has their CFL qualifier next weekend, and then we've got NSDA qualifiers, and then we got state, y'all. It never ends, and until it does. It never does. Yep. All right. Which is soon. Well, thank you so much for listening, everybody, and have a great week. Bye. Bye. Forensic Spaces is proudly produced in Wisconsin, the birthplace of the National Forensics League. Our theme song was written and performed by J.J. Hammeister. If you're a fan of Forensic Spaces, the best way to support the podcast is to leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. You can get in touch with Melissa and me by emailing listen at ForensicsFaces.com. You can also find links to all our social media accounts and that online merch store by visiting ForensicsFaces.com. I'm Kurt. And I'm Melissa, encouraging you to listen, think, and speak. Preferably in that order. Mm-hmm.